Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 387. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have just one story in today's show, that's all, but what a story. It is by the author Damien Angelica Walters, and it is just fantastic. The story is entitled, Green is for Silence, Blue is for Voice, Red is for Whole, Black is for Choice. And it's just like stunning, do you know what I mean? Excellent. It's narrated by Anne-Marie Chowowski as well. But I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute too. Don't forget, this show is sponsored by Octagon Technology, 1995 to Keeping on going now. All that time in the kind of technology business, just amazing. You know, well done, Clive and Diane. Please pop over there. There'll be a link on the show as well to go over to Octagon Technology. I mean, just support for this show. Amazing. And don't forget YouTube. Yes, I've got my YouTube channel there now. Still kind of cracking them out. I don't know, since the last time, I don't, did I mention the William Gibson one? Well, now I've got five reasons to watch the original Planet of the Apes and five reasons to read The Martian by Andy Weir. What a cracking book as well. And just out of curiosity, if anybody's you know, curious, my reading habits at the moment, I'm, I'm reading fantasy, for God's sake. Yes, John Courtney Grimwood. I'm reading a story by him, which I am loving, to be quite honest. Hey, steady big lad. (laughs) So yes, there you go. That's what's happening in this show. As well, please, I know this kind of of bringing it up, and I know you think we're getting kind of sponsor for the show, but that would kind of cover the the kind of SofaCon thing. Please, you know, we'll get a few kind of cancellations on the... On the donations, on the monthly donations. If anybody, you know, is kind of wanting to support, we're pleased. That would be fantastic. Getting quite a few cancellations. And it's, you know, times times are hard, times are bad. But I need some people to kind of step up to the market and kind of support Starships over. If you are out there, that would be fantastic. Little call to arms to kind of carry the show. That would be amazing. Please think about that. So... Onto this main fiction, and like I say, what a story. Just, I just love it. Do you know what I mean? By Damien Angelica Walters. I'll give you a little heads up about Damien Angelica Walters. Now, I don't know if Damien or Angelica, which kind of name she goes by, but short fiction has appeared or is forthcoming in various anthologies and magazines, including the year's best dark fantasy and horror, 2015, the year's best weird fiction, volume one, Casilda's Song, Nightmare, Strange Horizon, and Apex. 
The Floating Girls, a documentary orig- originally published in Jamis View, is one of the 2014 Bram Stoker Award Ballot for Superior Achievement in Short Fiction. Sing Me Your Scars. What a name for a title, man. Just hairs on the back of your neck. A collection of a short fiction is now out from Apex Publishing publications and paper tigers a novel is forthcoming from dark house press you can find her on twitter at damien angelica or damien a walters or i'll put a link on to damien angelica's site as well so you can pop over there and say hello like you say this story is just fantastic well done jeremy picking this one out what a, what a great story loved it like I say, this story is narrated by Anne-Marie Chowalski. Anne-Marie Chowalski is a postgraduate of the Royal College of Music. She was a regular soloist at the Royal College with fellow student Alvi Boer and has sung on Channel 4, the Royal Girl performances of ITV. We've had Anne-Marie on a number of times, and like I say, this story is just kind of up there. Brilliant. Anne-Marie, thank you so much. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Green is for silence, blue is for voice, red is for whole, black is for choice. By Damien Angelica Walters. Hush. Lady sleeps within a night skin. From the outside it appears featureless, a chrysalis connected to a machinery below with tubes and wires. When the stitches dissolve, she knows it's time to emerge. A week? A month? She doesn't know. Time slips while inside the night skin, slips and falls away. She wakes in stages. First there is subtle awareness, a shift in the light perhaps, as the stitches begin to give way and the skin loosens around her. The synthetic framework holding her muscles and tendons in place acknowledges the new space. Her limbs stretch out, pushing the gap open. The night skin falls open, laid within like a peeled grape. The night's skin chamber is a vast hall of shrouded forms, wombs of artificial skin bound together with black stitches. The life-sustaining machines give a low and steady hum. Acoustic ceiling tiles steal the sound away before it can echo back. Beds line the walls. White lights beneath each one push out a pale glow, the only illumination in the sterile room. Her footsteps make no sound under the hiss and pull of recycled air, air holding the scent of antiseptic tight in its grip, an ever-present reminder that they are still healing. Yet even after they heal, the smell will be their home. Where else can they go? As she makes her way out of the chamber into the short hallway leading to the sewing room, her rebuilt eyes adjust in a millisecond to the lights overhead. The air is still and silent in the hallway, her feet tap softly on the tile floor like a gentle raindrop on a window pane. Does it even still rain? She banishes the thought as she enters the small room where the black-robed seamstress waits with a dayskin and a green robe folded on the table beside her. Leyden never sees the face of the seamstress, nor does she know if it's the same one each time. Yet in spite of the hooded robe and the mask hiding all save her eye, something in the set of the woman's shoulders makes her think so. The day's skin is thin, yet strong, as artificial as the framework it covers. After pulling it into place, the seamstress opens her sewing kit, threads a needle, and with tiny perfect stitches closes up the skin. She finishes and later dons the green robe. The colour reminds her of the small patch of grass that grew outside the apartment building where she used to live, 
when she had life instead of existence. She nods her thanks and leaves both room and seamstress behind. She will not see her again until it is time to sleep once more. Sleep and wake. Sleep and wake. An endless cycle. In truth, she hates to wake. At least in the night skin, there is respite from the inescapable boredom. When she is fully healed, things will be better. She will be able to work in the food labs, or be taught to sew. That knowledge is the only thing that keeps her looking forward. She heads down a long hallway, the colour of weak tea, through a door, another hallway, and another door, passing into the area called the apartments. Her roommate, Victoria, sits on the edge of her bed, her hands folded in prayer. Lida no longer prays. A clock in the hallway chimes and they leave the apartment, nodding at the others emerging from theirs. Most nod back, save for Saul, but she nods to no one. Soon they become an ocean of moving dayskin, green robes fluttering around their ankles, bald heads bobbing back and forth as they make their way to the dining hall. The hall itself hums with movement and sound. The swish, swish of robes against tiles, the metallic tick of silverware onto trays, the rustle of paper napkins and the gentle susurration from the overhead vents. Black-robed vicars stand behind the counters handing out food. The ripe scents of the hydroponically grown fruit and vegetables are punctuated with an undertone of damp leather, the scent of the dayskins. Beneath that, the smell of blood and bone and antiseptic, and beneath that, stale air. Lida suspects most of them don't even notice the smells by now. She wishes she didn't. They leave a sick taste in the back of her throat no amount of food or water can erase. After they've eaten and returned their trays, Lida and Victoria leave the dining hall. Victoria moves two paces ahead and turns away from the apartment. Lida follows as Victoria travels with quick steps down a series of tiled corridors until they come to a sealed door, the door separating green and grey. Victoria presses one hand on the door and bows her head. Lida waits, her hands clasped together until Victoria is done. On the way back to their apartment building, they stop once when Victoria needs to catch her breath. She only has one lung. Lida is fortunate. She has two. A week later, according to the calendars in the dining hall, but Lida wonders, how do they know it's a week? And is a week in this world the same as it was in the old one? Time slips even in the dayskins. Notices are posted for the lottery. On lottery day, everyone in dayskin streams out of their apartments heading for the meeting room. Leader stands in the line behind Victoria and they shuffle forward as tickets are handed out. Some of those in line use sign language, their fingers twisting into words. Leda has been green long enough to understand a few. She sees, maybe, and I hope, on more than one hand. No one pushes, there's no need. Everyone gets a ticket. When it's her turn, she keeps her eyes down, holding out her identification card to the man in the black robe. Her name is found, checked off the list, and a ticket returned with her card. She and Victoria head to the sofas to wait. Sola sits nearby. Leda watches from the corner of her eye. Sola is new. The adjustment to life in green after spending long lengths of time in grey is hard for many, especially if, like Victoria, there are friends or family members still on the other side of the door. Leda has no one to miss or mourn. She was an only child and her parents died in a car accident three years before the war began. It's better that way, she thinks. After the last number is drawn and held up for all to see, she crushes the ticket in her hand. 
Victoria tips her head forward to hide the tears on her cheeks as those chosen are led away by men and women in black robes. Lady leaves the meeting room, but instead of heading back to her apartment, she walks past the dining hall and down several darkened hallways, her footsteps quiet yet sure of their path. Beyond the food lab, she stops at a nondescript locked door, the door between green and blue. The door and the connecting wall, like all the others, are soundproof, but she imagines she can hear snippets of conversation. She presses a hand to her throat. How long has it been since she's spoken? And how long until her number is drawn and she's given a voice? She clenches her fists. She's tired, so tired of waiting and hoping, but there's no choice. If the war had left behind enough materials, there wouldn't be a need for the lottery. Several weeks after the lottery, Lady hears a commotion in the hallway, thuds, rushing feet, a door swinging open hard enough to bounce back against the wall. She has the apartment to herself. Victoria was taken to the nightskin chambers three nights past. Opening the door a crack, Lady peers out. All around her, the others are doing the same. A man in black robes stands in the middle of the hall. One of her neighbours moves past the edge of the doorway. The man in the black robe shakes his head, hard. The one in green retreats. Not long after, the seamstress steps from an apartment, carrying both a dayskin and nightskin. Two men in robes wheel out a stretcher, the body covered with a white sheet. The sheet catches on the doorframe and slides back, revealing a face with the protective framework torn away and gaping holes where eyes should be. A harsh rattle of breathing emerges. The sheet moves slowly up and down. Wounded, yes, but still alive. Leda quietly closes her door. It's not the first time something like this has happened. It's no one's fault. Sola wasn't ready. They'll replace her eyes and keep her in grey until she is. A few days after Sola is taken away, the seamstress arrives to take Leda back to the nightskin chamber. Leda keeps her eyes down, watching the tile floor pass beneath her slippered feet. Once inside the sewing room, she lets her robe drop and takes slow, even breaths as the stitches are carefully cut away. She wonders who will wear the dayskin after it's cleaned and disinfected. With the dayskin removed, she heads for the nightskin chamber and closes her eyes when the seamstress begins to sew it shut, sealing her off from all that remains of the world, this facility deep underneath the earth in a tiny country near the Baltic Sea. And time slips away. Speak! Leda can't tear her gaze away from the ticket in her hand, shocked. Victoria tugs at her sleeve, her eyes filled with a question. Leda nods. How many lotteries has she witnessed? How many people has she seen heading out of the green into the blue? How much time has she spent healing and waiting? Victoria gives her hand a small squeeze. Leda never sees her again. Her fingers tremble as they lead her away. A black-robed man unlocks the nondescript door and ushers the six in green who've been chosen into a small room. Leda is the last one to enter, and she passes through. She presses her palm against the door. Another figure in black, sitting behind a desk, checks the numbers against the tickets again and nods to the first man. Without a word, he retreats back into the green, the door shutting behind him with a quiet snick. "'Welcome to Blue Ward,' the one at the desk says, his voice metallic and tinny. Tears roll down Leda's cheeks. It's the first voice she's heard in a long time. The second door opens, revealing a hallway where seamstresses are waiting, one for each of them. 
One takes Alida down the hall and into the room on the right, a room with pale yellow walls, a grey tile floor and a narrow wheeled bed in the centre. The sharp sting of antiseptic clings to the air. The seamstress removes Alida's robe, unstitching her day skin, and helps her onto the bed, patting her arm after she covers her with a sheet. A nurse will be in shortly to prepare you for surgery, she says. Then she slips from the room before the echo of her voice fades. Leda stares up at the ceiling, slowly breathing in and out. This is only a step on the journey. The biggest surgery of all waits for her in some far-off future, like a promise she can't bring herself to think of. Yet this, the ability to speak, will make the destination seem real, and not just a fever dream or a fervent wish. With this, she will feel real, closer to whole. When the nurse enters the room, her black robes blushing against the floor, Leda bursts into tears again. Recovery from her surgery is a blur of pain, whispering voices, the sharp prick of needles, the wrapping and unwrapping of bandages, and white tiled ceilings. Bandages keep her neck stiff and still. Under the muscles, something new lives, its weight and oddity. The surgery went well, the nurse tells her. Leda opens her mouth. No, the nurse says, not unkindly. Not yet. You haven't healed enough. Leda watches the ceiling tiles, heals and waits. Her first attempt to speak sounds like robotic frog croaking a lament. She covers her ears and rocks back and forth. The nurse touches her arm. Don't worry, it takes time. Now, open your mouth. Try this. Her, her, her. Just push the air out. Leda opens her mouth. A screech emerges. Again. A sound of rusty nails brushed together. Again. And again. And again. For hours until the false vocal cords hum and push, until her voice emerges, until it becomes strong. She's sewn back into the day skin, dressed in a blue robe, and taken to her new apartment. Two months later, Leda attends her first blue lottery. Only three numbers are drawn. There are cheers and congratulations, claps and shouts. When director Petrauskas walks in, a hush falls through the room. Leda has seen him only once before in the early days of her time in green. His appearances are rare. Before the war, his research facility developed and tested new medications and new techniques for burn victims. He still spends most of his time in the labs below, now recreating what the war took away. But in sustaining life, they have put it into a cage and locked it away like an animal in a lab. Yet what choice do they have? There's nothing left outside, nothing but toxic air and a ruined landscape mirroring the destroyed flesh within the walls of the facility. Stripes of grey, green, blue and red band the hem of the director's black robe, symbols of healing. A mask hides his face. Some say he was the first to undergo the application of new skin and the procedure did not go as planned, leaving him scarred and disfigured. Others say he made it inside in time, his real skin is intact, and he keeps it hidden for the benefit of the patients who, even after the final surgery, will never look as they once did. He moves to the front of the room. There is news, he says, and everyone stills. For the first time, there are empty beds in grey. Applause thunders through the room. Lady retreats into the quiet of her apartment to find a seamstress waiting. So soon, she thinks. Too soon. Six lotteries come and go, and in the seventh, her number is drawn. Heal. Before the surgeries begin, there are blood tests. Her day skin is removed. 
Her measurements are taken, double-checked and taken again. She's kept in isolation and pumped full of medications and vitamins. The doctors explain how they will start with her feet, weaving and wrapping the new skin in place. Once they're certain her body will not reject the exoskin, they will move up. Then one last trip into a night skin, one designed for the last stages of healing. A nurse comes in smiling. She wears a black robe, but no mask. Her scars are only faint traceries of white against the rebuilt flesh. Today is the day. She pats Lida's hand. Not to worry. All shall be well. A haze of hurt. Blurred vision. A smell of blood and antiseptic. A white ceiling. A voice. Everything's going well. No rejection. They're going to start on your legs next. Then darkness. Lida dreams of the wall, the screams, the panic, the smell of the dead, the dying, the long trek to the research facility, and please let them still be there, let someone be there, on foot, because those with cars choked up the motorways, passing families carrying their belongings, old photo albums, family Bibles, crying, shouts, the planes overhead, fighter planes, soldiers' guns, chemical weapons, the poison gas, the dirty bombs to wipe out what they didn't destroy. A war started by countries intelligent. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Enough to know better, but they did it anyway. And all the tiny neutral countries caught in the crossfire, falling like dominoes, caught when the winds shifted and the dark clouds turned, rolling in with their toxic rain. The blood, the screams, the running. And then the doors, the wait. My name is Lida, my name is Lida. Don't worry, we'll take your name later. Inside, inside the grey, in the beds, the cots with a little room between them, the first step in their new life. Breathe. Just breathe. We'll help you. Voices. Whispers. So many. Too many. We didn't know it would be like this. We didn't know. We didn't know. Lida wakes. Bandages cover her from head to toe. Small slits created in the white so that she can see and breathe and speak. There is no pain. Only a strange not feeling in her limbs. She tries to raise her hand. A nurse bends over, gently pushing her hand back down. Keep still. You're still healing. Lida finds her voice. Is it finished? Yes, how do you feel? Numb. Good. Rest now. Time creeps beneath the bandages. Inside, she tries to forget, even while she longs to remember. The coffee shop near her apartment. The scent of lilacs in bloom. The cars whizzing by in a blur of colours. The cobblestone streets. The beach, dipping her toes into the water, knowing it would be too cold to swim, and then swimming anyway, until her skin pebbled with the chill and her teeth chattered. The snow falling at night. The storefront windows with the wares on display. The taste 
of tea, laced thick with honey on a windy afternoon, the voices of the tourists, the camera clicks, the way the sunset turned the old stone buildings to orange and red before the night stole them away into shadow. Her fingers trembled the day they unwrapped the bandages. They start at the feet, unravelling around and around, lifting up her limbs with a gentle touch. The bandages are speckled with pinkish-red, spring roses against the white. The nurse helps her to sit, then to stand. With shaking fingers, Lida touches her arms, her legs, her belly. The new flesh is pale and lined with pink, healing scars, like a patchwork doll still in the making. Her scalp and cheeks are smooth beneath her fingertips. She doesn't care that her scalp will never grow hair, that her lips are of a different shape. She is whole. Whole! She laughs. It it feels like it must be a dream. I felt that way too, the nurse says. We'll get you ready for sleep now. So soon? Yes, unfortunately, don't worry. It's your last time. It helps prevent any sort of infection and speeds up the healing. And after this, you'll be able to sleep normally. Leda holds tight to the nurse's arm as they walk into the nightskin chamber, a small room with only six beds within, the lights pulsing with a pink glow. Three nightskins are sealed with stitches, the others open and waiting. They are not the anticipated shade of pale, but a dark red, the colour of drying blood. She gasps. Yes, they're a little strange-looking, aren't they? I wish we had more so we could heal everyone faster. The other nightskins don't work with the exoskin. The nurse helps her inside, but before she steps away, Lady touches her arm. How long would I sleep? It varies. It could be as little as two months or as long as a year. A year? Only if there are problems. I don't think you'll have any, though. Don't worry. You won't even notice the time. We'll see you when you wake up. The nurse steps away and a seamstress takes her place. The night skin closes round Lida like her blood-red warmth of a heart, the machinery humming underneath its rhythmic beat, and she sleeps. Beyond! Lida wakes in darkness. The night skin still sealed around her, holding her inside. She wiggles her body, but the stitches hold fast. Hello? She calls out, her voice scratching thick. Heavy silence is the only answer. She squirms again. The stitches don't budge. Maybe she woke too soon. It happened once before in green, yet someone had been there telling her everything was fine, it wasn't time yet, and then she'd slip back into the arms of sleep. Hello? Silence again. She sighs, wrapped up in the warmth, hoping they'll come soon. All is silent. All is still. All is wrong. The quiet hum of the machinery is gone. The air too warm. Hello! She calls out again, her voice stronger this time, but strong enough to reach outside the skin. No one answers. No one comes. The machinery, even when the night skin opens, should be pushing its subtle vibration against the spine, a mechanical, soothing lullaby, yet there is nothing. Can anyone hear me? Breath rushes in and out of her lungs, adding to the warmth. Her heart thuds in her chest. She wiggles and twists and slides her arms up in the tight space until they rest against her chest. Can someone help me? A sob catches in her throat. Please, there's something wrong. 
She pushes her fists up, the night skin flexes, bending to take the shape of her hands. She pushes harder, using her fists, forearms, elbows. A tiny popping noise breaks the quiet as a stitch gives way. Then another. She gathers her breath and yells, as loud as she can, loud enough to hurt her throat and her ears. The air inside the night skin thickens and curls around her limbs, a warm serpent beckoning her to close her eyes and sleep and wait. Somehow she's been forgotten, overlooked, trapped inside this dead heart. Surely if she waits, someone will come. No! She chokes out. If she waits, the air will disappear. When they remember her, it'll be too late. She pushes at the night skin again. Another pop as a stitch gives way. A push, a rip, and the air, so little air, her lungs straining to catch every last bit. Tears turn her vision to a blur. All around her is red and silence. She shrieks and punches the skin over and over again. Pop, pop, pop. The stitches give way, but there are so many. Her fists flail against the night skin, against the red. And then with a loud, tearing sound, she's free. Her lungs aching as she rises out of the night skin, throwing her head back to breathe, breathe, breathe. The cold air racing in, rushing as she pulls herself up and out and tumbles to the floor. When her tears subside and her lungs get their fill, she stands, a chill working its way down her spine. The air is cold enough to turn her breath to vapour. Goosebumps on her arms let her know her exoskin is fully healed, but the light is too dim to see the faded scars. And the light is wrong. All the lights are wrong. There aren't enough. Only the lights beneath her ruined, torn nightskin are pushing out a pink glow. The others are dark. The room is devoid of all noise, save the sound of her own breathing. Five of the nightskins, including hers, are open. One is sealed shut, the stitches in a neat row down the centre. With shaking fingers, she lowers her hand. Is someone there? No warmth. She lifts her hand, dust covering her palm. Backing away from the night skin, she turns her gaze down. Her feet leave prints across the floor, cleaner tracks within the grey. She covers her mouth with both hands to hold in a cry and spins around. The door leading out is a glass pane. Beyond the pane is a sickly yellow light. Pale, not the expected white. A click breaks the quiet behind her. <gasps> a yelp escapes. She turns to see the lights on her night skin have gone out too. She opens the door, heads out into the hallway and freezes in place. The overhead lights in the ceiling are dark. The yellow comes from small lights set at intervals up where the wall meets the ceiling. Emergency lighting. And all is silent and still. No footsteps. No voices. Her skin prickles again. Two black robes, both streaked with grime, hang from hooks on the wall to her left. Shivering, she grabs one and shakes the dust from the fabric. From the overhead vent, a gentle kiss of air touches her skin. Frigid air instead of cool. The smell of antiseptic is missing. Instead there is a strange peppery scent, sweet, yet sharp at the same time. An even coating of dust covers the floor. No footprints, no tracks of any kind. The end of the hallway is hidden in shadows. Hello? Leader moves forward into the shadows. The dry, sick, sweet smell intensifies. She takes five. Five steps. Ten, passing open doors to empty rooms. Fifteen, 
twenty, and everywhere dust and silence. She comes to a junction in the hallway. Left or right? Left is dark, without even the yellow light to guide her way. She chooses the right. Empty cots are lined up against the wall, end to end. She staggers past the cots, trailing one hand on the dusty sheets. Hello! She shouts. Her voice echoes back. Is there anyone here? Wrong! 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 A voice pulses in her head, or maybe it's the beating of her heart. She doesn't know. Into another hallway, a longer one, the yellow lights flickering in spots. More cots, but they're not empty. Each one contains a sheet draped form. And the shapes are wrong, too sharp, too narrow. With the word wrong screaming in inside her head, she grips the edge of the sheet and pulls it back. The body is a husk, a dried thing of flaking skin, sunken cheeks, withered limbs. A glimmer of light catches on the artificial eyes, still snug within the sockets, the glint of metal within the throat. Dead. Long dead. She touches the hand. It crumbles away with a brittle crack. Her scream rips from her throat, loud and long, echoing on and on and back again. She covers her eyes and steps back. And the smell, the paper stink of rot. How long? She thinks, dear God, how long have I been in the night skin? One of the yellow lights flickers out and she runs down the hallway and then down another, turning where the shadows aren't so heavy, her feet leaving a pathway of panic in the dust, past more cots with dried husks, all the people gone, gone to nothing, terrible faces with sucked-in cheeks and open and breathing mouths. She runs, her heart beating a madcap rhythm in her chest, because there has to be someone, there has to be, through red into blue, the doors closed but not unlocked. More cots, more death, through blue into green, and there on the floor, a robe with a striped hem, a desiccated hand, emerging from within the black. She stops and reaches for the mask, still covering his face. It falls to the floor with metallic clatter, revealing a face frozen in time and ruin like all the others. A man, not a monster, not a god. He was responsible for keeping them safe and making them whole again. And for what? For what? She lifts her face up towards the ceiling and shrieks over and over again. When her voice turns rough and ragged, she runs once more. The dead all around her, in every hallway. Nothing left. No one left. She covers her mouth with her hand so she won't breathe them in, but she can taste them. The old rot slips down her throat. and The air is cold. So cold as if the earth had wrapped the facility in arms of icicle and snow melt. She skids to a stop as she passes through the door between green and grey, her lungs aching, a stitch in her side pressing needles of pain up and under the skin. There are no cots, no bodies in the hallway. Ignoring her pain, she moves on through hallways and rooms, but there are no bodies anywhere. Only silence, vacant rooms, empty beds and open nightskins. In the middle of the nightskin chamber, she sinks down to her knees, Tears spilling from her eyes onto the floor. Everyone is gone. Everyone. With a guttural cry, she rises to her feet and races from the chamber down hallway after hallway, breathing in time and 
dust, searching, groaning in frustration when doors lead to more rooms, more hallways, more than she remembers. Then a small sign, half hidden in shadow, with a red arrow below, catches her eye. This way to exit. She follows the arrow, finds another and another, leading to a stairwell illuminated with more of the pale yellow lighting. Holding tight to the railing, she climbs up and up and up. The door at the top of the staircase opens with an echoing creak. It slams shut behind her with a loud bang. She jumps, biting back a yell, and makes her way through several narrow hallways with windowless offices on either side. Inside the offices, traces of the old world remain. Coffee mugs with cartoon characters, paperweights and family photos. The faces pale ghosts beneath the dust. Finally, she reaches a hallway ending with a set of double doors. Above the grey metal, a sign reads... Exit. Laughter bubbles up and out. She looks over her shoulder. She feels the dead inside watching with their mechanical eyes. All gone save her. But she is whole. Whole. The laughter turns to tears. All the waiting. All the surgeries. But outside there is nothing. The war took everything away. She shakes her head. No, no! After all this time there must be something more. There must be! Yet what if the only thing waiting is death? She shudders. And what is inside? Only the same. She wipes the tears from her eyes and holds out her hands. The faded scars tell her story. Maybe outside she'll find others whose scars tell their own, and when they're old they can tell their grandchildren how they survived the war. Please, please, let there be something. Let there be someone. Leda takes a deep breath and opens the door. Air rushes in as the hinges creak and groan. Her robe flutters in the breeze, the sound a soft whisper in the quiet. Gone are the dark clouds and the bitter taste of chemicals in the air. The sky is a wide, cloudless expanse of blue, bluer than she remembers. Sure, it must be an illusion. She blinks several times in rapid succession, but the illusion holds fast and the air is sweet as honey from the comb. A profusion of flowers in white and yellow and pink peek out from the tangled vines, and a world in green. Trees stretch their branches high, leaves rustle in the wind. A great forest lives in place of the rubble, the broken bodies and the fear. The earth has reclaimed her space, has shed her old ruined skin, for new. In the distance a wolf howls long and low. Leda shivers even as tears fill her eyes. Life. There is life. She bows her head. I am sorry you did not get to see this, Victoria. I am so sorry. All of you. From the corner of her eye, she catches a flash of movement. She wills herself still, staring out past the trees. The movement comes again. Not a wolf, but a human-shaped figure in pale clothing, standing too far away for Leda to make out a face. Her heart races, and the tears spill down her cheeks. She touches her forehead, her neck, 
the tracery of scars the surgeries left behind. Will the stranger accept her with her rebuilt skin and her mechanical voice, or, or worse, recoil in fear and flee? The urge to run back inside, to hide, washes over her. She steps back, stops, and shakes her head. No, she spent too much time inside waiting. She's forgotten how to live. But she will learn, and she will tell the stranger everything. She will explain. The scars mark her as survivor, not monster. The figure in the distance raises one hand. Leader does the same. Then she wipes the tears from her face, lifts the hem of her robe, and makes her way back into the world. There you go, don't forget, copyright is Damien Angelica Waters. Damien Angelica, thank you so much. What can I say? Just amazing. Just a, oh, I never knew where that story was going. Do you know what I mean? I kind of just, it was like, and I, I, I really like that. Do you know what I mean? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Keeping us going. Keeping us like, again, hope. What's happening? Hope, hope, hope. Brilliant story. Thank you so much for letting me have that. And Anne-Marie, big hugs. Thank you so much. So that is today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. You know, I, like I say in the, in the kind of introduction there, please, we're having a number of people kind of, you know, dropping out. Just if you could see it in your kind of hearts to kind of help her out and, you know, keep this keep this girl going. We've been going since 2006. And, yeah, it's, it's no, you know, it's no fault of anyone, people having to drop out and, you know, kind of funds are tight. But if there's anyone out there who kind of thinks, ah, you know what, let's give them a little bit, let's keep them going. Just support her for, a, you know, a few months, a year, £2.50, a fiver, a tenner. It just, honestly, man, it helps out so much. So if you could, I would really appreciate it at this moment in time. Thank you. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Sofa. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.